Good morning, Plum Creek. It's great to see all of you here today. I'm excited to jump back into our journey through the life of Jesus. This journey is called the Gospel, and we're going through the life of Jesus in chronological order. We're drawing from all four Gospel books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Obviously, this is going to take a while, so we've divided the story into several smaller chapters. Today, we begin a brand new chapter, and the title is Called. So over the next four weeks, we'll look at several different people who were called by God to some important mission. And through these stories, we'll get a better understanding of God's calling on us today. So as I start this morning, I want us to think about this question. What's it like to get the call? What's it like when you're singled out and called up to take on some new challenge, something big, something significant? I was thinking about this, and the first thing that came to mind was a minor league baseball player who gets called up to the big leagues. Now, I have no idea what that feels like. So a few days ago, I got in touch with Nate Jones. Uh, Some of you know that Nate and his wife Lacey are a part of Plum Creek. Nate is a pitcher. He's played Major League Baseball for over seven years, and most of that time has been with the Chicago White Sox. So I said to Nate, Do you remember the day when you were called up? And right away he said, oh yeah, I'll never forget that. Then he told me the story. Back in 2012, Nate was in the minor leagues, but he was invited to join the White Sox for spring training. And at the end of spring training, there were two guys fighting for the last spot in the White Sox bullpen. It was Nate and this veteran who had already played in the majors. In fact, this other guy had been in the World Series with the Yankees. At this point, Nate had played five seasons in the minor leagues, and he had some real doubts that he would ever get called up to the majors. But here's what happened. The regular season was about to start. It was time for the final decision. It was cut day. Nate told me one of the coaches pulled him out of the locker room, walked him down the hall to the manager's office. Inside the office, he saw the pitching coach, the manager, and the general manager. Nate expected them to say he got cut, but instead he got called up. They said, congratulations, you made the team. Nate told me he was dumbfounded. He was like, did that just happen? He was super excited. He called his mom and dad. He called Lacey. And clearly, it was an amazing experience to get invited, called up, to play in the majors. At the same time, though, Nate told me he still had some doubts. He was asking himself, can I really play at that level? Uh, he was excited and intimidated at the same time. And a lot of us can relate to that, right? I had similar feelings when I got the call to come to Plum Creek. When the elders invited me to be the senior minister here, I was definitely excited, but I was also intimidated I had never been a senior minister, and I was thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm not sure I have what it takes. This is a huge responsibility. But the reality is, when God calls you to do something big, those feelings are normal. You may be excited and intimidated and flat-out scared all at the same time. But when God calls you to do something that is beyond you, 
That's a good thing. That's when we'll say, God, I can't do this myself. I need you like never before. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to rely on him. He's got a, a plan to use each one of us in a powerful way. But he doesn't want us to operate out of our own strengths. He wants us to say, Lord, this calling is beyond me, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you will provide what I need. And then God wants us to take the leap. So that's the challenge for us this morning. Before we leave here today, I want all of us to say, I know what God has called me to do, and I am stepping into that calling. So how do we get there? Well, we are going to jump back into the story of Jesus, and we'll look at two individuals who boldly stepped into their calling. One is a man known as John the Baptist, and the other is Jesus himself. Both of these men show us what it looks like to follow God's calling. If you have a Bible or a Bible app with you, open up to Matthew chapter 3. That's where we'll spend most of our time today. And this chapter is where Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist. Now, John was a strong leader. He had a large following. But he was very unconventional. I heard a preacher named Barry Cameron describe John the Baptist like this. He said, imagine that you want to start a movement or plant a church or launch a ministry that makes a big impact. And then imagine that you hire a marketing firm or a consultant to give you advice and help you get started. And then what if that consultant comes to you and says, hey, uh, we have five things that we think you should do. Number one, dress like a complete freak. Try to look like a cross between a hippie and a mountain man and Robinson Crusoe. Basically, let everybody know at first glance that you are not normal. Here's the second piece of advice. As you try to build a following, don't go to the people. Make them come to you. And don't give them a nice building with plenty of shade and a place to sit. Gather everybody out in the desert out under the hot sun. Number three, publicly insult your listeners. Tell them how wrong they are. Name their specific sins and call them names too. Tell them they're a bunch of snakes. Number four, antagonize the authorities. Expose them for the frauds that they really are. And finally, number five, tell your followers to stop following you. Tell them, instead, you should follow this different leader. Tell them, you're better off following him. Now, if that's the advice you got, uh, it wouldn't take long to fire that consultant, right? But the surprising thing is, John the Baptist did all five of those things. And despite this unconventional approach, people flocked to him. Uh, They were very impressed with him. And you know, that's true today, too. Many of us are impressed with John the Baptist, and why? Well, for one thing, he was bold. He told it like it is. He didn't care what people thought. He didn't care if people liked him. And he didn't seem afraid of the authorities or the establishment or what they might do to him. You put those things together, and there's a lot to admire about John the Baptist. But there's another side to this. When we look at John we see a strength of character that we often don't see in ourselves. Yeah, the truth is, I'm not as bold as I'd like to be. And I care too much about what people think. And I do get intimidated. And I don't like putting pressure on people. 
So here's the deal. When we compare ourselves to John the Baptist, it's kind of overwhelming. We feel like we don't measure up. We can't do what he did, and we're not sure we'd want to. Well, before we read this passage, I have some good news for you. John the Baptist had a specific, unique mission. He's the only one who had this particular calling. But let's not forget, God has called each of us to our own specific mission. We can all learn from John. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and dig into this story. I'll start reading at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So we see that description of John's crazy appearance. We see those large crowds who came to listen to John and even be baptized. But I want to focus on that prophecy up in verse 3. The prophet Isaiah said that John would prepare the way for the Lord. So based on that phrase, what was John called to do? Well, his mission came in two phases. In phase one, John the Baptist was called by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. And over the past few weeks, we've talked a lot about how the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. God had promised this deliverer, a special king who would come and bring salvation and freedom. And it had been a long wait. Those prophecies about the Messiah were centuries old by this point. And the Jews had gotten discouraged because after the prophet Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, there had been 400 years of silence from God. There had been no prophet, no update, and no Messiah. But that's where John comes in. He shows up and he says, today is the day. The countdown is over. The kingdom of God is finally come near. Now that may sound like good news, and it was, but John also had some bad news. These people were not ready for the Messiah. So John said, before you welcome this king, you guys need to make some big changes. And he said that to everyone, even the Jewish religious leaders. Let's go back to Matthew 3. We'll start with verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now right here, Matthew introduces us to two groups. These groups will play a big role in the story of Jesus. And you might spot some similarities with our culture. Back in John's day, there were two main political parties with these two groups, and both of them were completely messed up. 
So we can make a connection there. Um, But at any rate, we've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Both of these groups were part of the Jewish religious elite. Both groups were very self-righteous. But what message did John preach to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? It was the same message he preached to everyone else. They needed to repent and to be baptized. Now let's make sure we understand those two things. First, what does it mean to repent? Well, when God tells you to repent, that means you're not living right. You've got sin in your heart. You're breaking God's commandments, and you need a major change of direction. And when that's the case, what do we think of as the solution? A lot of times we think the solution is, well, i got to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. I, I just need to change my behavior. But let's look a little closer at John's message. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Our fruit is our behavior, and repentance comes before the fruit. If you look at the original meaning of the word repent, it's talking about a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. So it's not just behavior modification. After all, you can look pretty good on the outside while your heart is rotten on the inside. So repentance starts on the inside, but it can't end there. If you say, I've repented, but you don't see any changed behavior, well, you haven't repented. Now, the issue is not being perfect or sinless. It's about direction. Are you moving towards God or away from him? If you're moving toward God, you'll see generosity where there was selfishness. You'll see honesty where there was dishonesty. These things will always be the results of repentance. So John the Baptist cuts right to the heart. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they thought they were in good standing before God because they were good Jews. They were descendants of Abraham. They thought they obeyed all the rules. They thought, well, if God thinks of anyone as righteous, it's us. But John says, I know the truth. Your parents were snakes, and you're a bunch of snakes too. John preaches with passion and urgency. But why? Why, why was it so important to him that, that people would turn away from their sin and turn toward God? It was because judgment was coming. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the bad news. Judgment is real. And judgment is coming, not just for the people of John's day, but for us too, if we don't get right with God. So that's where we have to start. You have to accept the bad news. You have to recognize that you are more wicked than you ever dreamed. Are you able to accept that? By and large, the Pharisees and the Sadducees refused to believe that. They kept trusting in themselves. And that is tragic because until you come to terms with the bad news, you won't be ready for the good news. So what is the good news? Well, if we flip over to Luke chapter 3, verse 3, we see something pretty exciting. That verse tells us that John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So look at those last few words, the forgiveness of sins. Somewhere in the deepest part of our souls, all of us long to be forgiven. 
And that longing is not there by accident because all of us have sinned against God. All of us deserve God's wrath. We deserve punishment. And we have this sense that something is wrong. But this is the good news. Despite our sin, God still loves us. You are more wicked than you ever dreamed, but you're also more loved than you could ever hope for. And so, God wants us to escape the punishment that we deserve. He wants us to be forgiven so we can be washed clean and live with him forever. But how can we be washed clean? Well, it all comes down to the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve, and he offers forgiveness as a gift. That's God's grace. It's a gift that we don't deserve. But before you receive that gift, you have to put your faith in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Now, having faith is similar to belief. It does mean that you believe in Jesus, but it's more than that. You also put your trust in him. You put your life in his hands. So where does baptism fit into all of this? Well, this is interesting because this is what John is known for, right? This is where he gets his nickname, John the Baptist. He baptized people. But what is baptism? Well, the word baptism means literally to be buried or submerged in water. And that's why we immerse people here at Plum Creek. But why did John baptize people? Well, look back at Luke 3.3. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what's the connection here? How is baptism related to being forgiven by God? Well, baptism went along with repentance. It was an event that marked a turning point. When you're baptized, you're you're turning away from your old life. You're saying, my old life is dead and buried. You go under the water and then you come up. You've turned to God. So these Jews who were baptized by John, they were saying, we realize that we're sinners. We realize that we need to change. And we know it's not enough to be a descendant of Abraham. Uh, We can't uh, be forgiven or saved just because of our family heritage. And you know, that's also true today. Um, In our time, some people are baptized as infants. And if that was the case for you, I've got to say, with all due respect, that was your parents' decision, not yours. So that's not the same thing as making your own personal decision to turn to God. But in the case of these Jews, they stopped trusting in their family heritage. They stopped trusting in their personal righteousness. And they said, we know we can't be saved except by God's grace. Now, I do have to point out that John's baptism was different than Christian baptism. John's baptism took place before the ministry of Jesus, before the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and before the church began. So John's baptism was looking forward to the cross in a similar way to how we look back to the cross. But whatever time you happen to live in, the message is the same. The only way for people to be saved is by grace through faith. And part of putting your faith in Jesus is following the command to repent and to be baptized. That's exactly what the Apostle Peter says in Acts 2.38. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Sound similar? 
And then he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So back to John the Baptist. Clearly, this guy had responded to God's calling. He was preparing the way for Jesus. But then uh, an interesting thing happens. People begin to wonder if John himself might be the Messiah. And that wasn't cool because John definitely was not the Messiah. So what does he do? Well, this is when John has to move to phase two of his calling. Phase one was to prepare the way. Phase two was to get out of the way. Look at Matthew 3, verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John says, listen, guys, we need to take the spotlight off of me. We need to put it on Jesus. And and this is my calling, to point you to him. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. And this is one of the most impressive things about John. When his mission was accomplished, he was completely willing to fade into the background. He didn't try to hold on to his moment in the sun. He was not driven by pride. He understood that he had to step out of the way because Jesus was about to do things that John simply could not do. In fact, John mentions one of those things. He says that Jesus will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And John is referring to a time years down the road after the crucifixion and the resurrection when Jesus would send the gift of God's presence in the form of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this gift is still given to every follower of Christ today. The Holy Spirit is the literal presence of God in you. And the Spirit is the one who gives us the power to change. If you try to change by your own willpower, you'll end up like one of those Pharisees or Sadducees who thinks you're better than you really are. But let's get back to the story. The focus is about to shift from John to Jesus. And the mission of Jesus was very clear from the beginning. We've mentioned it here today. Jesus was called to save lost people, people like us. And this is the core of the gospel. Because God loved us so much, Jesus came to lay down his life on a cross, to die, to purchase our freedom and forgiveness. But here's where we get to the crazy plot twist of Matthew chapter 3. Jesus was the only perfect person who ever lived, the only person who had no need to repent. But then Jesus comes to John to be baptized. Let's jump back to the text. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee up north down to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, Heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now I can definitely see why John hesitated here. If any baptizing was going to happen between these two, John should get dunked by Jesus, right? But Jesus said, No, John, I need you to do this. It's the right thing to do. 
But why? How did it make sense for John to baptize Jesus? Well, there were several things going on here. We can see three purposes of Jesus' baptism. The first purpose is to inaugurate the public ministry of Jesus. During those years when Jesus was a teenager and a 20-something, he pretty much laid low. We don't know exactly what he was doing. Maybe working construction jobs with Joseph. But for whatever reason, that period was not the time for Jesus to start preaching and teaching and working miracles. He wasn't ready to reveal who he really was. But now, the time had come. The Messiah had come. This king was about to set up his kingdom. And God wanted this to be as clear as possible. So that's the second purpose of this baptism. It was meant to identify Jesus as the Messiah. This was a public announcement in front of John's followers. God gave three signs here. First, the heavens were opened. Second, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. And finally, the voice of God affirmed that Jesus was the Son of God. As I was studying for this message, I learned something very cool about these three signs. And I've got to share it with you. First century Jews would have recognized these signs as evidence of the Messiah. In one of the commentaries I read this week, there was a quote from this old Jewish text called the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. Now, this is not a part of our Bible, but Jews were familiar with it. And listen to this quote from that old book. It says, The heavens will be opened. There's one sign. And from the temple of glory, sanctification will come upon him with a fatherly voice as from Abraham to Isaac. There's a second sign. And the glory of the Most High shall birth, burst forth upon him. And the spirit of understanding and sanctification shall rest upon him in the water. There's your third sign. That blows me away. It's a perfect description of what happened at the baptism of Jesus. It was total confirmation that Jesus was the Messiah. This moment would have been pivotal in helping the crowd transition from John to Jesus. So the baptism of Jesus inaugurated his ministry. It identified him as the Messiah. And there was one more purpose. Jesus said it himself. He said to John, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So what in the world does that mean? Well, I'm sure that only God understands the full meaning of that phrase, but we can still draw some conclusions here. Fulfilling all righteousness refers to the fact that Jesus was submitting to God's plan. He was stepping into his calling. And Jesus was well aware of what that meant. He knew the road ahead was going to be difficult. He was headed for rejection and suffering and death. But he still accepted this calling. He, he was still moving forward. Another way that Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness was to give us an example Jesus was far, far above us in every way, but he was humble enough to be baptized. And if he didn't make an excuse, then we have no reason to make an excuse. But I want to wrap up today by going back to where we started. What can we learn from John the Baptist and from Jesus about God's calling on us today? Well, first, we have to be clear about what God has called us to do. We know that he hasn't called us to prepare the way for the Messiah. That was John's job. We know that he hasn't called us to save people. That was 
the job of Jesus. Only he can do that. So we can rule out those two options, but how can you identify your specific calling? The truth is, it's not as hard as you might think. First, Scripture tells us several ways that God has called all of us. For example, over in Matthew 22, Jesus identified the greatest of all the commandments. Based on what Jesus said, all of us can say, I have been called by God to love God with all of my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. So that's one. And here's another calling that applies to all of us. God has called you and me to become a disciple of Jesus and to make more disciples. See, these are things you don't have to wonder about, but they are sort of general. So let's get more specific. On the note sheet in your bulletin, you'll see one extra blank. And I put that blank there because I I want all of us to figure out how is God specifically calling me right now? So this is your action step for today. Your goal is to fill in that blank. But how do you know what to write? Well, this may help. Any specific calling will fall under one of those general callings that we've already mentioned. So, for instance, love God with all your heart. Think about that. Is there anything or anyone in your life that you have put above God? If so... God is calling you to deprioritize or possibly let go of that lesser thing so that he can have the rightful place in your heart. What about uh, your neighbor? Who is God calling you to love? Who is he putting on your heart? You know, we have literally billions of options here. Some of you are showing love by sponsoring a child in Kenya through Missions of Hope. Maybe you're recording a video message this morning to send to your child. And if so, that's great. But we don't have to go far from home, do we? We have plenty of people in this community who need to experience God's love. This may be your calling. God may have put someone in your path in order to show his love through you. Let's skip down to that second line becoming a disciple of Jesus and making more disciples. Is that where God is calling you today? For some of us, that means going back to John's message, to repent, to be baptized. Let's think about repentance. Can you identify a part of your life where you are clearly and intentionally going against God's plan or God's will? If so, it's time to repent. It's time for a change of mind that leads to a change in behavior. Or it could be that God is calling you to be baptized. If you have said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but you've also said, I'm not ready to be baptized, uh, can I ask a simple question? Why not? I mean, you may have questions or concerns, and, and that's great. Let's talk through those. But if you are sincere about following Jesus, then as soon as you understand that God calls us to be baptized, it's time to move forward. And then there's that final category of making more disciples. If you belong to Jesus, but you aren't taking an active role in making disciples, there's your calling. God has called you to invest in somebody who needs to know Jesus. Like I said, This is your action step for today. Figure out what goes in that blank. 
How is God specifically calling you right now? If you're struggling to come up with an answer, pray about it. And talk to your life group or a spiritual mentor or contact one of us on staff. Whatever you do, don't leave that blank blank. And then once you have a clear answer, follow up with these two questions. First, am I willing to obey God's call? Like I said earlier, God's calling may be intimidating. It may be scary. You may have all kinds of doubts. You may think, uh, this one's just beyond me. But that's okay. God is teaching us to rely on him. And that starts when we're willing to obey. But there's one more question to ask. Am I actually obeying God's call? Being willing to do the thing is very different than actually doing the thing, right? Some of us are procrastinators. Some of us get sidetracked. Some of us just chicken out. But here's my advice for you and for me, too. Don't try to keep this private just between you and God. Tell somebody. Find someone you can trust and say, here's what God has called me to do, and here is when I plan to do it. That way, the other person can follow up and hold you accountable. And, you know, that's how God has designed the church. We're supposed to help each other out. Well, we've covered a lot of ground today. But in the end, it all comes down to this. Just like John the Baptist and Jesus, all of us have been called by God. And then, just like John the Baptist and Jesus, it's time to step into God's calling. Let's pray. Lord, as we read these stories today, I thank you for the examples of John the Baptist and Jesus and We can uh, be a little overwhelmed because uh, a lot of times you call us to something that feels completely beyond us. But Lord, help us to understand that you're you're helping us to rely on you. You're teaching us that it's, it's not about our own power. It's not about our own strength. So Lord, I ask that right now, I pray that you will reveal to us what to put in that blank. Let us know what your specific calling is. Some of us, we've known what that is for a while, but we've been dragging our feet. And others of us still need to to get clarity on that. But I pray that by your spirit, you will convict us. You will call us. And then I pray that we will be willing to obey and then we will actually obey. And then we'll see how you provide so many blessings when we do that not just for ourselves, but for so many people around us. And I know you are blessed when we obey you because that's a form of worship. That's a way to give you glory. So I ask, Lord, that uh, you'll lead us in this way and that we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.